not yet. How faithful. I, I, was, I was here early this morning, and, and it's 8.30, and the music ministry, they start to roll in. And I just left, and I, I really was so taken back by it about how faithful these people are that come out every single week. On Friday night, they're here sometimes. Megan comes home at 11, 12 o'clock at night. I think the meetings end you know, pretty late, or she, maybe she just doesn't want to see her husband. But really, the faithfulness of that ministry. So we need to commend them on that and uh, just thank them for their inspiring us. Well, as, I'm just basically going to stay in the flow. I had no intention of really staying here. But after last week, after we talked about our vineyards and entropy, I think, I think we as a church, as the body of Christ, we're going to stay in that river. And that's where we are today. So if you're wondering, and as an educator, we need to have things repeated to us constantly. We need to be awakened. We need to be reminded of what is true, of what is real, and what is important. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that eyes would be opened, that we'd have our ears open to what you would say to us. Lord, show us that I can't physically, it's impossible for me to do it. Give people a revelation of who you are and what your church really is. This unbelievable organism that has been around for 2,000 years that we are now a part of. Give us a sense of urgency and passion to follow you. Take us out of our apathy and our complacency. Lord, wake us up from our slumber. May the power of the Holy Spirit anoint every word that I speak. Lord, make these words come to life. I'm just a simple human, Lord, trying to find my way and find your will. May I be your mouthpiece this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen. It was very interesting. Pastor Joe didn't know this. But I wanted to talk to you today, in the beginning, about risks. There's a philosopher. He wrote a book. He's a, a philosopher, at, um, professor at the University of Hawaii. Thank you. And he wrote a book about risk. And there's a chapter in that book about the dangers in your household, the things that are very dangerous. Right? Some of you right now, you're thinking, well, how about this? Over 400,000 people on average will be sent to the emergency room from sustaining cuts from kitchen knives, bagels, what have you. 120,000 people will go to the emergency room every single year from injuries sustained by power tools, saws, things of that nature. Now, I must confess... I will never, ever be one of those individuals because my family will not allow me to have power tools. It's true. It really is. Almost half a million people sustain injuries from falling out of bed. I'm not making any of these up. Now it gets really silly. 4,000 people, on average, will get hurt from their pillows. From their pillows! Don't ask me how that one happens. But here's what I want you to do. If you would, take a second, turn to the person next to you, and I want you to guess what do you think is the top of the list, the most dangerous thing in your house. Go ahead. Talk. Come on. Talk to the person next to you. Take a guess. 
<clears throat> Jamal. Okay. Now you can stop talking. Now, I, I'm sure you had some great answers, but you know what the number one most dangerous thing in your house is? Thank you, gentlemen. If you could please bring that over here. This is the most dangerous thing. Thank you, great job. This is the most dangerous thing in your house. This couch right here, right here. Look at how plush and luxurious this couch is as you sprawl out. Now, I thought to, to make this more living, I want to give you an example. I want to put somebody in this couch. I want you to see how comfortable this couch can be. And I want my wife to come up and do that. So if you don't mind, darling, no, we don't need to move the pulpit. You can't see? You want me to move the pulpit? It's OK. Can you see over here? I tried to angle it so that you could. Honey, I want you to lay, take those, take your shoes off. Those are not comfortable enough. Take that other pillow, take that, I have some things for you here. Now, here is a pillow. This is, this is your organic pillow. How, okay, put that pillow right there. There you go. Nice, now don't hurt you, 4,000 people per year. We don't want you to be one of those 4,000 people that get hurt this morning. What else do we have for you? Oh, honey, how about this beautiful bathrobe? Do you want to put that on as well? Okay. There you go. Who bought you this bathrobe, by the way? It's really nice. Uh, Elaine Cannis did, actually. Oh, okay. I thought I did. I really thought I did. I guess I didn't. Um, how about this? I don't have a Snuggie, but I do have this. Feel this blanket. You want to feel Just feel it. Feel this blanket. Feel it. Okay, is it nice? You can't have it. There you go. This does happen on a regular occasion at home. I'm just giving you a bird's eye view of what happens in the Lecce home on a given evening. To be more comfortable, does she not need comfort food? These are from Uncle Giuseppe's. These are jelly rings, your favorite. No, I only put four in the bag because if I filled it up with more, they would all be gone. <laughs> Let's, I'm not done yet. I am not done. <laughs> How about slippers? These are Ugg slippers. These are not just, these are my slippers, by the way. She is going to wear my Ugg slippers. Nice. You got it. Don't ruin them, please. Thank you. I hope your feet are clean. All right. So I think we need some music, maybe to help set the mood as well. And you know what? Here is a remote control room. Oh, so you can watch The Bachelor. Right there on that, right there. Which, which by the way, I don't understand. You're married to me. Why would you ever need to watch The Bachelor? Am I not good enough? <laughs> Thank you, the lights were lowered. I didn't even have to ask for that. She's gonna fall asleep. Look at this, she thinks she's at a spa right now. 
So I ask you, friends, does this look like a woman that is ready to spring up from this couch and she's ready to go out into the world and do some great and mighty things? Does she look like one? Does she? I'm being serious. No, she does not. Thank you. You can now leave and go to your skip or a hand. She said, I'm taking the jelly ring. Do you want the blanket too, really? And your we'll leave that stuff up here. We'll just leave it here. <laughs> Friends, here's the serious part of why I just showed you this. You see, the danger is not what you will do when you sit on this couch or you sit on that chair at home. The danger is what you won't do. Dreams that will die, prayers that will never be prayed, relationships that will never be deepened, tears that will never be shed, spiritual battles that will never be fought because we sit here on this couch and our lives are just unraveling and they're just being moved further along. This is the most dangerous thing that is challenging the church of America, lethargy and apathy and complacency. Oh, we need to wake up. I was reading a book this week. The author's name is Mark Batterson. And he had a really interesting question. And I was with Megan and some friends yesterday, and I asked them this question. I just wanted their opinion. The author said, he thinks that we all have guardian angels. And, I, you know, and some of you may, all right, what, whatever. I believe that. I believe we do have guardian angels. So amen. I didn't expect to get an amen on that. But I, re I really believe we do. But here's a question as I was reading and I was just thinking as it pertains to this. Do angels yawn? Do they yawn? I always think of these inane theological questions. Yes, I do. But I think it's actually a profound question if I do say so myself. I don't know why I'm saying that, but no, really. Do you think they yawn because they look at our lives because of how boring they are? Do you think they kind of just sit there and are like, oh, I guess another night, that guy, he's not going to the prayer meeting. She's not going to go to the prayer meeting. Oh, they're not going to pray. They're just going to sit in front of the TV. Another program, just another day. Same old routine, doing the same old I think they do, Yohan. When they look at our lives, we were made for so much more. I sat there this week on Wednesday, got home from work, like many of you, tired from another long day, right, out there in the world. And I looked at her, and I'm, I was, actually, I got in trouble. I was reprimanded. I had my Bible out, and I wanted to read my Bible in silence. And she's across from the table, and she looks at me, and she's like, really? <laughs> really? Are we going to talk? All right, honey, let's get deep right away. Talk about our day a little bit. But then we both got really serious. And I said to her, honey, I said, honey, this is our one and only life. We need to go to that prayer meeting. This is what matters. Even though we're tired, we need to persevere and we need to push ourselves because we're part of the body of Christ. We're not individual entities unto ourselves. No, we are the body of Christ. And what I want to do here, let me tell you, let me give you my thesis, the crux of what I want to do for two weeks. 
for two weeks, what this is, the big C is the title. Next week, it's going to be the little C. I want to talk about the church. The church. I don't think I have ever delivered, in 10 years, I don't think I have ever delivered a sermon. You've heard sermons from Pastor Linda, maybe Pastor Joe over the years. I have never delivered a sermon really on what the church is, the 30,000-foot view of what the church is. Because once, if you can grab this today, I think it'll help this aspect of this part of our lives as we try to come out of the doldrums, as we try to break out of our complacency and apathy. And I want to start with, of course, my favorite author, C.S. Lewis. My favorite book of C.S. is, is The Screwtape Letters. And I want you to look, this is kind of a long quote. I'll try to break it down afterwards, but this is really the thesis of where this came about these two weeks. And C.S. says this. One of our, now this is, I should, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, even though I've used this before. This is, an, this is an elder demon who is mentoring a younger demon. And he's talking to him, the patient would be us, people that are on earth. How do you keep them from all that God has in their lives? You people that were on the men's retreat, Naeem did a terrific job of playing Uncle Screwtape. So when he says the patient, he's talking about people that are on earth. That's what he says. One of our great allies in this is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her. This is my favorite line. Spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy, but fortunately, it is quite invisible to these human beings. When your patient goes to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors he has avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little what kind of people that pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter, your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have shoes that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. As we always do when we read C.S. Lewis, we really have to think long and hard. You usually have to read things a few times. What he's talking about first, the title of this message is the big C. He's talking about the body of Christ, the church in general, that has been spread out through time and space for all eternity, a terrible army with banners. I think of those movies like Lord of the Rings, I think of like the brave hearts, and you just see myriads of warriors. He's talking about the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ that is moving and marching forward. Oh, we don't, they, the enemy does not want you to know about that. He wants us to think about the little C, the people. Did you read that? And were you thinking, oh, who's next to me? Were you looking around at the people that are next to you? He wants us to look around to and fro and look, look at that guy. Look what he's wearing today. Look at her. Man, why did she wear that? They're kind of weird. They're a little strange. He wants us to be that way and act that way, and he wants to confuse us. So the big C today is what? The big C, the body of Christ, is this church, this terrible army with banners. It's kind of like, it's analogous to the soul. 
We all have a soul, but you can't see it. It's known only unto God. And sometimes we really do. We miss the picture of what the church is, of what Jesus created, what God, this, his great vision that he had. And then the little C, what are we going to talk about next week? I'm going to talk about how it's applicable to our lives. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to bear my heart next week and talk about where this church started and where we are today. But I want to talk this morning about the big C. Do you know the charter members of the church 2,000 years ago? Jesus never said to them, the disciples, he didn't say, hey, Peter, John, James, go to church. Never did. He never told them it's time. You have to go to church. He said, follow me and it will be the adventure of your lives. You may not always be safe. You may not always know where you're going, but it will be an incredible adventure. It's the Jesus experiment. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Luke 9 and 10. And I hope you're as moved as I was, as I just reading the text. In seeing Jesus and seeing this great movement that we are a part of. So I'm going to start in Luke 9, the first six verses. This is what Luke says, the historian, the meticulous historian who doesn't leave out any details. There are some things he wants us to see. Then he called Jesus, called his 12 disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everyone. I think we look at Christianity, and it's especially as it pertains to these early followers, the foundation of the church. You, you must see, they looked at Jesus, and it was like, "Ooh, we're going to sit and watch. Ooh, we can sit and watch from the bleachers. Look at Jesus heal all these people. Look at Jesus perform all these miracles. Isn't this incredible?" And Jesus changes it. This is now a paradigm shift. You must see this. This is a paradigm shift where Jesus now says, "It is not come and sit and watch me. Get out from the bleachers. Get onto the game field. Get your uniform on. I don't care how you feel about yourself. It's your time to go out into the world. And those things that you have seen me do, you're going to do." That's what this movement is about, and that's how it starts. And then look what it says there. It says, take nothing, take nothing with you. Oh, that sounds like fun. No food, no money, nothing on my back. Are you kidding me? This is how I'm supposed to go out into the world? It's analogous to um, a documentary, and I didn't even see the documentary. I'll sit on Apple TV, and I'll just, sometimes I'll only watch, I just love documentaries, some of the really good ones, something that's really worth an hour and a half or two hours. I'm ripping the TV before, but now I'm telling you about watching, uh, there's a documentary that's out there, it's called Craigslist Joe, it made me think of this. There is a guy, he makes this documentary, for 30 days, he gets rid of his phone, contacts, money, job, everything. Everything you would possibly need in this world. And he says, I'm just going to live off of Craigslist. Lunatic. Goes into like Starbucks places. I'm watching this going, this guy really did this for 30 days? 
nothing on his back, and he just, can I survive for 30 days? I mean, dumb, right? Not really smart. Not the smartest place to go and live from. Craigslist, but the guy did it. I'm thinking about these individuals. Sometimes we gloss over this. These were real human beings, and they're being told by Jesus to go out into the world with nothing. Just follow me. That's how taken they were with this rabbi. That's how taken they were with this rabbi. That they would follow him anywhere and do anything. And then look what it says in 9.10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Look at that first line. Look at this. Don't gloss over this. And the apostles, when they had returned, told them all they had done. I see Jesus sitting there when the apostles return. Can't you see the scene? The joy that is in his heart. Because they went out and they're actually trusting him. Do you know who's there? It's James and it's John and it's Peter. You know who else is there? Doubting Thomas. Who else is there? Judas is even there. And the 12 are there. And can you imagine some of the conversations? James and John fighting about who healed more people. And Peter exaggerating about things. And Thomas going, I don't really think you really you healed that person. No, really. Think about the conversations that they probably had with each other. And they're talking about all this stuff. And they're so excited because the things that they've watched Jesus do, they now did. They prayed for the sick. They healed people, the lame. People that were blind could now see. They were following in the footsteps of their rabbi. Oh, what a glorious time in the history of this church. A new movement is starting, and it's starting with 12 people, and Jesus is overcome with joy. But then when you look at the rest of this chapter, read it on your own this week. Look at the rest of chapter 9, because Luke wants us to know. He talks about all their failures. There's a, there's a, a man that has a, a son that is tormented. They can't heal him. Can't heal him. They argue about who's the greatest. There's a Samaritan town that will not welcome Jesus. So what do they want? I love this. I, I find it comical. They want to torch the town. Lord, should we take him out? Get, the, get the, the blow torches? Should we take everybody out? Oh, yeah, that's good. We're going to take everybody out. Crazy. This is, this, these are his followers. So Luke is trying to tell us. Yeah, they did some great things, but look how inadequate they are. Look at how ignorant they are. These aren't the best. These aren't the brightest. These are just ordinary people that are trusting in their rabbi. You see that? That's us, ordinary people, part of this great church that has been around. You look at time, eternity, a terrible army. You are part of that army. Are you living that way? I think we focus on how inadequate we are. And that's why we don't get off the couch. I'm inadequate. Who am I? I live in Middle Island, New York. I'm part of this little church. Who am I to do anything in this world? You are made in the image of God. And you are a warrior. And if you had any idea how dangerous you could be to the gates of hell and the enemy, oh, it would blow your mind. The enemy wants you to think you are nothing and you have nothing to contribute. Some years ago, I don't know how many years ago this is, babe, maybe seven or eight years ago, I went away with her family. We went to Arizona. Wonderful vacation. 
Grand Canyon, some other things, and somebody in, this, in the whole family, one individual, they shall remain nameless, they are in the room though, they wanted to go to this like Wild West place. What was the name of that place again? Because I didn't remember and I didn't want to ask you. Rawhide. Rawhide, okay, Rawhide. So we go to Rawhide, Megan is excited like a three-year-old kid running around. I'm like, wow, this is great, right? Could be at the Grand Canyon just hanging out. Nope, I'm at Rawhide. Trying to make the best of it. So we walked by this one place, and they had one of those like mechanical bulls. Right? Those mechanical bulls. And... I'm an athlete. <laughs> Nobody wants to jump on, right? Come on, how hard can this be? Look at the guy. Hey, how you doing? I want to go on the mechanical bull. Now, I'm crazy, like, my family, they'll call me Jimmy, I'm James, when I speak to you usually, I turn into Jimmy, which means just get out of the way, all right, it's, it's going to get crazy. Guy tells me, hey, buddy, you know, you, you don't want to hold the thing too tight, it's going to jostle you around, you kind of just have to move with it. Once again, I'm an athlete, I guess, how hard can this really be, right? Get on the thing, bring it. I fell off the thing literally in less than 10 seconds. Not even 10 seconds. I fell off the thing. The guy's face when he looked at me, I'm like, that was like a really hard level, right? He's like, level one. <laughs> How many levels do you have? 12. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I got on the mechanical bull. I was the one that said, I'll go, I'm, I'm inadequate, who cares? I'm going to jump on this thing. That's what God's looking for from us. He's not looking for us to be competent. He's not looking us, for us to be proficient. He's looking for us to trust him, to believe that he can change our lives. He's looking for us to answer the call. And I want you to see something. Go to chapter 10. Look at the beginning of chapter 10. This is wild. Look, look at the progression of this. So in chapter 9, he sends out the 12. Now look at chapter 10. 10, 1 through 4. After these things, the Lord appointed 72 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Oh, this is so power-packed, this passage. As you know, this is, I never knew this in, in studying this text. The 72 here, it's, we all know that numbers in the Bible usually have some sort of significance, Right? Well, look at this. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the 10th chapter of Genesis is what's called the list of nations. Okay, the list of nations. So in the Greek version of that, there are 72 nations. In other words, Jesus has a vision that these 72 are going to change the world. Are you kidding me? This is what Jesus is looking at when he sends out the 72 he is standing there, and he knows they are on the precipice of something great, that this movement is now going to flow out, and people are going to try to stop it. And in chapter 9, we see Herod the Tetrarch, and he doesn't understand. He has lopped John the Baptist's head off, right? He has beheaded John, 
And he's hearing all these stories, and he's wondering, who is this Jesus person? Didn't I kind of stop this movement? But Herod forgot that this movement could not be deterred. Oh, this is a terrible army with banners stretched across time. And the blood of the martyrs was watering the seed of the church, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it's growing throughout the centuries. And it cannot be stopped. There is nothing like this church. Can I get an amen? And he says the harvest is huge. He doesn't use what, look what, he doesn't say, I'm looking for spiritual giants. He does, he's looking for just normal people, workers. That's the word, workers. I need workers. Look at the harvest out there. Where are my workers? And he's saying that to us today. Will you? And he moves them out two by two. And I'm sorry, once again, I have to stop here. To digress, can you imagine what it must have been like for the, the two by two? We know, do you ever like go with, away with somebody and you stay in a hotel room? Like when I go away with my brother and you, I can't sleep physically up till two o'clock in the morning because he wants to talk about stuff and you know, right, right, right? We're gonna go to Tampa in a couple of weeks, that's what's gonna happen. I know that's what I'll be subjected to. But imagine these guys when the, you don't find that funny, but it's quite funny to me when these guys go out. Can you imagine who snores too much? Who talks too much? Peter, you eat so loud. Will you stop? Why couldn't I be put with, I don't know, Judas, anybody but you? Real people that get under your skin. These are real human beings sent out by Jesus, just like you and me with foibles, eccentricities. They're weird. Come on, just like us. You must see that in the text. And how about this, greeting people on the road? This, is, this blew my mind. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. You know what Jesus is saying? In the first century, it was custom that greetings were a long process. Not short, like, hey, what's up? How are you? How's it going? Good, nice to see you. It was, hey, how are you? And you had a long, drawn-out conversation. Jesus is saying right here, you must see it, the fire in his eyes as he looks at these 72 and he says, and you are not to greet anyone on the road because I have a mission for you and it is so urgent that you come through. You don't have any time to stop and greet people. Where is the fire in your eyes? City on a hill, community, church. Where is that sense of urgency inside of you that you want more of this, more of him? I ask, where is that? If you've noticed the last two weeks, we're not leaving you alone. Really, this is, and looking at myself in the mirror, we're challenging you, we're challenging ourselves to come higher. There's so many great things about this church, but I am not okay with the church just being okay. And you shouldn't be either. This is your church, it's not my church. We are the church. I do not want to be part of a complacent movement, a complacent church, where there are nominal Christians. You know, I get upset sometimes. We know the Emperor Constantine. You all heard Emperor Constantine. You may remember him from school. Well, something very important happened in 387 AD, the Council of Nicaea. And there are some wonderful things that took place at the Council of Nicaea. Let me tell you one thing that was not good. He made Christianity. He adopted that as the state religion. And from that moment, wait till I talk to that guy. From that, from that moment moving forward, 
nominal Christianity became ubiquitous. It was everywhere, all over the place, and still today. And friends, we as your pastors have no interest and no inclination to lead a church of nominal Christians to move out there. And I look at myself, I looked at myself this week, honestly, as a leader in this place, and I said when I started my messages out even 10 years ago, everything, be secret sensitive, this and that. You know what? Forget all that stuff. This is what's real and true and important, and we don't have any time to waste. None. I feel like today, as, as I was crafting the message, I almost felt like it was a state of the union, a state, a state of our church. That's what this is. Last week wasn't. It was more applicable to your lives. We talked about entropy, and we talked about your vineyards. But this is, it is part of this. It is tethered to that. But this is a state of the union today and next week. It's two parts. And look what he says going down further. He says, lambs among wolves, or even before that. Where exactly am I there? Where? What verse? Three. Three. Thank you. I should be able to read. I'm looking at it with you. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Does anybody, like, do you know what happens when lambs meet up with wolves? Last time I checked, lambs don't win, right? They really have no shot. There's a great story. A, uh, a man is in the woods. He encounters this big bear, oh, a hungry bear. He's an atheist. Pr- cries out to God, God, if you help me out of this situation, I promise, I promise I will follow you. God says, hey, listen, buddy. Can't help you there. It, you're just, you're just, it'll be, that's a prayer out of fear. If, if I really did that, then you know what? A week from now, you just go back to your same ways. Says, all right, all right, all right. God, can you convert the bear? to Make him a Christian. Make the bear a Christian. God says, you know what? I can do that. I can do that. Bear becomes a Christian. Next thing you know, the bear is on his knees, and he cries out to God. He says, God, I want to thank you for this meal that I am about to receive. <laughs> truth of the matter is we'd rather be wolves, not lambs. I don't want to be a lamb. I want to be a wolf. And you look at history, and you look at the people that laid their lives down, like lambs. This really, friends, this really happened. Peter said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. He dies on a cross upside down. Paul is executed by Nero. He is beheaded. You know what he said when he writes to the church at Rome? He says, you are to obey the authorities and you are to pray for your enemies. Nero is on the throne. This is the same Nero that is using Christians in the, in the arena and the gladiators are, are taking them out and he's using them as pitch in his gardens to light his gardens. This is the same Nero. And Paul is saying, pray for your enemies. He is taken out. Lambs to the slaughter. Oh, this is the church across the expanse of time and space, a terrible army with banners. Satan can't stop it. He still can't stop it. He's still trying to stop it, but he can't. He knows his days are numbered. Look further down. Look at this, 10, 17, 18. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What is he saying, friends? He is saying, we st- God, we started this experiment. I sent out the 12. Now I'm sending more out. And what is happening? The darkness that we see in this world is being rolled back. It's being stopped in its tracks because there is a group of people that are on the move and the church is marching out. And friends, it is still marching. Nothing can stop this glorious organism that Jesus created. He started. It was the Father's plan that the church would move out. But I see Jesus here and I see this experiment and I see this mission that he puts them on. And I am amazed. (laughs) I think they they looked at something. They they saw something that was bigger than themselves. They were willing to die for something. You know, it's, it's often been said, right? Once you learn how to die, you know how to live. And that's what this is about here. As we started out the message this morning, comfort ease and security, that's not a life for you. That doesn't make your heart race faster, this kind of life. It's time for us to get out from the bleachers and get into the game. If you haven't, it's time to. And if you think you're content and satisfied with what you're already doing, your relationship, oh, you need to go home and look in the mirror because there is more for you. And I want to give you a story to end with. Last week we were talking about slugs, the sluggard, I want to give you a story about fire ants. I wanted to get fire ants for this message, but I don't think that would have went over too well. I don't even know if you can buy them. I don't know how you would uh, get them. Red fire ants are native to the Amazon and down south. What is so interesting about fire ants is this. If you take one fire ant, you take one fire ant, and you drop it in water, what happens to it? It drowns. It dies. My brother-in-law knows. Anybody else know? It dies. You take two fire ants. You put them in water, they die. You take three fire ants, you put them in water, they die. You take a tablespoon of fire ants and you put them together, guess what happens? They live. (laughs) Scientists have discovered something incredible about fire ants. You see, let me show you the picture of what fire ants do. They cannot be drowned. They are impervious to drowning. Did you hear that again? They are impervious to drowning when they band together as a group. You can play some music as they band together as a group. Here is the picture. Look at this picture right here. This is the ant raft. I want you to be left with a picture today, a visual picture of what the church truly is. Listen to this, how amazing your God is. What these fire ants do together is they stay interconnected. They connect together with their jaws and claws. And you want to hear how powerful their jaws and claws are? Listen to this. By measuring the force required to break the links between their jaws and claws, scientists have determined that the ant's grip force is on par with that of a human being able to suspend six elephants off the ground. Are you kidding me? Nothing can break the bond that these ants have together. They can float what you see. They form a disc. They can float on water for up to two months. 
two months, these fire ants, because there is one singular vision that they stay united. It reminds me of Ben Franklin when the founding fathers are about to sign that Declaration of Independence. And he said to them, he looked at all of them, he's the eldest statesman, and he said, if we don't stay together assuredly, we will hang separately. And every one of them knew what they were signing. They knew that they were in a battle. These, these insects, these ants, the ones that are submerged in the water get air from the ones that are on top, the air bubbles. That's how they're able to live and nothing can drown them. Nothing can stop them when they stay together. And oh, friends, that is the church. That is the body of Christ. And let me tell you this. Long, and you look at the ash heap of history, everything that's ever been created, long after Google Googles its last factoid and McDonald's delivers its last hamburger and Facebook connects its last friend and Twitter sends out its last tweet and Apple makes its last iPhone, the church will still be here. Amen. Nothing, nothing can stop the church. Nothing can stop us. Nothing. You know the battle it was for me today? I'm going to be honest. The battle that I had as a speaker, I had foul thoughts running through my mind last night that I don't have. I had crazy dreams. I woke up praying. I don't even, I didn't even tell her in the middle of the night because I know this is an urgent message. It doesn't happen to me. I'm not super spiritual. I'm being honest with you, though. We are in a battle, a real battle. And I ask you this morning, I implore you as one of your pastors, get out of the bleachers, get into the race, and go out of here. What did Jesus say to Peter? What did he say? On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why are we on the defensive? Get out of here and go on the attack. Stop sitting back. Stop getting your heads kicked in. Move out. You see a fire in me today? Yes. Because I believe it in my soul with everything that's within me. This is an urgent time. It is not time for complacency. And as we come to this table, once again, like we did last week, if you weren't here, get the message. I don't know. This is not a time to be complacent. And I want you to bring up whatever, whatever's going on. If you say, you know what, as Pastor Linda said before, if that's me, that's you, and you say, yeah, I am complacent. Yeah, I feel challenged today. I feel inspired. That's good. Bring where you're at. Don't lie. Bring where you're at. Reality is your friend. Reality. Talk to God about where you're really at. Bring it all to him. He can handle it. You don't think he can handle it? He knows what's going on. Just bring it to him. Bring it to this table this morning. Bring it. Because, friends, we as a unit, just like that raft, that's how we are going to keep moving out. Prayer meetings, whatever, anything that's going on in this place, that's the picture you need to see Wednesday night. That is us, that we are that little disc of fire ants, and we're moving out, and nothing's going to stop us. Lord, Lord, I thank you for what you started 2,000 years ago. Lord, I thank you for the blood of the martyrs was watering the seed of your church. I thank you for that most beautiful organism. I thank you, Lord, that it's still going. I thank you, Lord, that it'll go on for eternity. Make us into your bride. 
Do not let anything hinder and impede who we are and what you have for us. And everybody in this room, Lord, may they truly see how you see them, how you see us. Deal with our complacency and our apathy at your table this morning.